Well, good morning. My name is Chris McGuffey. I am the pastor of outreach uh, here at Bible, uh, Grace Bible Church. I spend most of my Sunday mornings uh, over at our Southwood campus, so I don't get to come over here quite as often. But excited to be with you this morning as we kind of continue through uh, our journey through the book of Proverbs. But I just wanted to mention, just as uh, uh, Chris had prayed earlier, we're really excited about some of the mission things that have happened over the course of this summer. Uh, not only some community outreach opportunities that we've had, but also we're in the midst of seeing some of uh, our trips that we sent out through our college and adult and youth programs. Some of them have gone and have come back. Some of them uh, just re- returned last night. The trip uh, here for Anderson that went to El Salvador to work uh, with SHIP through an orphanage uh, down there just returned last night. So if you've been praying for them, continue praying. Make sure that they make it back uh, into our society well. Got a little bit of a report by email uh, last night and it was fun to see that uh, some of the things that they were able to do. Built a house for a needy family, were able to help make some repairs on some other houses. Uh, they held a VBS and also had an evangelistic outreach where more than 80 people uh, came and were able to hear the gospel message. All in all, this summer when everything kind of culminates through our missions programs, we will have sent out more than 175 people into eight locations around the world. And we're pretty excited about what God is not only doing in us as the people of God here at this location, but also how he is sending us out. Um, as we arrange what will be on tap for our sending opportunities over the course of this next year, I can promise you'll be hearing from me soon. Uh, today, we're going to continue through our, our journey, uh, like I said, uh, in our uh, summer series in Proverbs. Uh, and this morning, our topic is going to be on self-control. So if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, why don't you go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 25, and I will join you there in just a few minutes. Uh, the concept of self-control is one that, uh, as we read through the scriptures, I think can often be a little bit misunderstood. We know that it's a fruit of the Spirit, and that's where we're going to kind of end our time uh, this morning. But the English word self-control that, that we use, I think, can easily overstate what our own role is in terms of that control. And it can also easily overlook the role of the Holy Spirit and how uh, the role of the Holy Spirit plays uh, in our lives. Okay, so this morning, I want to go ahead and tell you my goal is threefold. First off, I want to take a look at the common uses of this term scripturally for self-control and kind of pick around with that. I want to look at a topic within the book of Proverbs that we can further explore this idea of self-control. Uh, and then third, I want to identify some areas uh, that I think often snag our walk with Jesus and the, the, the intimacy that sometimes that we feel as we get distanced from him. So read with me in Proverbs chapter 25. We're going to start there in verse 28 and we'll flip through another few Proverbs along the way. 25, 28 says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. As I said before, Proverbs often uh, paints a picture of the truth in our lives in such a way that maybe we can understand it a little bit better. It helps us to visualize not only what is already happening in our lives, but also what could be waiting for us uh, in not such a good way down the road. As we think back to the Near Eastern kingdoms, it's pretty crazy to assume that a city without uh, standing walls would be able to protect itself. 
roving bands and organized armies are always looking for easy battles and uh, cities that had no walls would be easy pickings from within the land. This is pretty clearly illustrated even from the book of Nehemiah that as he returned to the city of Jerusalem and he saw that the walls around Jerusalem were in disrepair, that was one of the main priorities that if, if God was going to reinstitute his kingdom in the city of Jerusalem during that day, then one of the things that they were going to have to take care of were the walls. This passage illustrates for us the danger of trying to live our lives without some type of self-control, that somehow we're vulnerable to what the world uh, brings towards us. It seems therefore pretty important for us to understand what this word means and, and maybe the scope of the meaning of this word. So let me give you a couple of places, one in Hebrew and one in Greek, that maybe will fill out the idea uh, of this word self-control and help us to understand uh, a little bit better. In Hebrew, the word uh, is masar. As you can see up there, it means holds back or uh, something that restrains or prevents. And the funny thing is we translate it self-control, but really the idea of self isn't in the word. Okay, We look into the New Testament, uh, Greek word egretia, and it comes from this Greek word kratos, which you might uh, not know that you know, but I'll get to that in just a minute. The meaning uh, has to do with, uh, with dominion or majesty or mastery, okay? And it includes the idea of a power that comes from within, but not from oneself. Okay, when you add this word to another word, demos, which means people, kratia, which means power, democracy, okay, is power derived from the people. So it's important for us to understand that, that self-control is not some positive power force that we can use to go on to the offensive out in life, nor is it like some type of Marvel Comics superpower that allows us to overtake enemies on our own. Instead, it's the ability to trust in something that we know that's there, something that's other than our own innate strength to restrain or prevent an external enemy. In the Western world, and maybe even more so in our Texas world, we live by what we can call a bootstrap worldview. We try to pull ourselves up by our own power, which I think in the extreme extinguishes the idea of how it is only by the grace of God that we experience blessing and victory in life. Though it may be appropriate in, in some terms, this idea of manning up to persistent problems in our life, especially our spiritual lives, might not end up being the best strategy for success. Biblical self-control, by its very nature, includes the idea of God being a part of the picture. With this understanding, let's kind of flip through some passages in the book of Proverbs and see how it can shed a little bit more light on this idea of self-control. Um, I really like uh, the book of Proverbs um, because it's a little bit different of a book than ones that I'm more familiar with. I love to uh, float through um, float through the, the narrative sections of Scripture. Why? Because uh, I learn by story. The, uh, the stories are familiar to me, and I can read through them quickly. And as I read through them quickly, I can pick up different nuances or different aspects of the story that maybe I missed uh, previously, and it, and it helps me to learn a little bit more. But when I hit the book of Proverbs, I can't do that. I can't just begin to rush through and, uh, and, and gain something. It, it's a book that causes me to stop and reflect and, and have introspection in my life. And frankly, those aren't, 
aren't things that I'm always very good at. It's already been mentioned, I'm sure, a couple of times through this sermon series uh, that the book of Proverbs is really to help us gain skill at living. And part of the way that this is accomplished uh, through this book is that it helps us to identify the roads that we're currently on and show us ultimately where those roads are leading. Those of us who are parents try to do this every day with our kids. Uh, I have three teenage boys and I try to show them the road that you're on today may not really be taking you to the place that you ultimately want to be. Okay, And we try to do that as parents and sometimes uh, only in a moderately helpful way. Proverbs, on the other hand, helps us to identify these struggles in life which are often portrayed uh, in this book as traps. Okay, Proverbs helps to give us a better picture of the problem that we may have in a way that we can understand. Proverbs provides sometimes the missing link between cause and effect. And the book of Proverbs often shows us the ultimate consequences of our bad decisions. So this morning, I want to do something that I think is a little bit interesting. I want to explain the the grander topic of self-control from the book of Proverbs. But what I want to do is I want to choose one smaller subset of a topic within the book of Proverbs that will help to illustrate that. So this morning, for a little bit, uh, I want to talk about the issue of alcohol. Okay, to talk about the issue of alcohol so that we can see what, what Proverbs is saying about alcohol that teaches us a little bit more about the topic of self-control. So this morning, I brought a couple of, uh, of visual aids with me. Uh, I have a, a styrofoam cup, a styro cup, and a solo cup. And uh, I can only imagine, you know, when you, when you see these cups that uh, for many of you, you're thinking uh, it brings, you know, maybe to the memories like, you know, church picnics or, you know, going to the, the Rangers game uh, or Little League baseball games or all kinds of little positive thoughts about these cups, right? Well, for some of us in the room, uh, maybe the thoughts aren't quite as positive, okay? Because for these cups, sometimes what they remind us of is our party companions, okay? These are the things that uh, maybe during our younger years or maybe our years not so long ago that we carry around uh, with us at parties uh, and we fill them with beverages that we call liquid courage, <laughs> right? And, uh, and we walk around with this hoping uh, that we can mix and mingle and uh, do okay for ourselves. Well, as you think about that environment, I'm going to tell you a story this morning uh, that I had never told my parents um, until recently. And I'll tell you why I recently told my parents in just a few minutes. But I must have been about 12 years old um, and my parents had uh, gone out somewhere to the store, out running some errands. And one of my buddies was over at the house and his 12-year-old boys, as we are prone to do, we end up making our way to the refrigerator, right? Why? Rummaging around for food because that's what 12-year-old boys do. But that day, I found something that was a little bit more interesting than food uh, in the refrigerator, and it was a six-pack of beer. Now, my father was not much of a drinker, but occasionally what he would do is he would reward himself uh, for having mowed the yard uh, with an ice-cold beer. And, uh, and you would think, because I knew that he didn't drink very much, uh, that a, a missing beer might stick out to him uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but I remind you, I was only 12. Um, it was at that moment, at least for that day, uh, that I elevated 
that beer uh, from being a normative and neutral beverage to something far, far beyond its purposes. Uh, And for me, it became what I call coolness in a cup. Okay, And so what I did is my buddy and I, we decided that the plan for that day was to open that beer and we split it between uh, two styrofoam cups and uh, wanted to walk around our neighborhood uh, to show how cool we were, um, never giving the thought that maybe that story would somehow uh, make it back to my parents. Um, so we split it in half and we walked away and, and we made that beer, okay, we gave it the power to make us different. Never mind that I actually detested the taste of beer and I actually never drank it. Uh, it was the possessing of it that was enough to make me something that I wanted to be. After making my rounds, my buddy and I came back and we made really the only good choice of the day. Uh, and we took the beer and we poured it out. After all, I was 12 years old and it tasted awful. Um, my parents came home not long after that and uh, almost immediately they realized that there was something different in the refrigerator okay, than when they left. And so my father called me over and he began to ask me some questions uh, about what was different. And he said, hey, do you have any knowledge of what is happening uh, with this missing beer uh, in the fridge? And uh, so I knew, you know, it seemed as I was caught and I, with all the respect and everything that I had for my father, I looked at him and I said, are you crazy? I'm 12 years old. And fortunately, I had older siblings that could absorb the suspicion. (laughs) So here is what I wrote in my notes as I gave this sermon uh, at Southwood, uh, as I gave this sermon at Southwood about uh, three or four weeks ago. Mom and dad, after 37 years, I am finally glad to get this off my chest. I hope that you will download this sermon and forgive me. But it was Saturday night before my sermon and my parents called and they said, we heard that you're preaching a sermon and we would love to come down and listen. (laughs) So my next sermon will be entitled Childhood Sins, You Can Run But You Can't Hide. (laughs) 37 years later, we had a uh, good conversation at lunch that afternoon and um, I really probably need to call my, seven, my brother who's seven years older than me and finally apologize to him who absorbed the suspicion. In retrospect, doesn't it sound really pretty silly? It sounds kind of ridiculous to think that pouring a beer into a styrofoam cup and walking around my neighborhood could make me a different person. You know, but many of us struggle with all kinds of different issues in life. Many of us struggle with things that may or may not be alcohol, but it could very easily be some other issue that we struggle with on a daily basis that we think if we make this decision or that, if we give it power, then it will make us into a different person. It could be eating, concern with weight, gambling, pornography, or a hundred other issues that we can misuse in our lives that lead to addictions. Here's what I think the problem is, that we exchange the power to have our lives eternally changed and we give that power to temporal and failing strategies. 
Now, on the outset of this sermon, one of the things that, you know, I'm not trying to really cover the topic of alcohol in its entirety. Uh, I really want to talk a little bit more about self-control, but I want to set out just uh, uh, in five statements uh, some things that I do think that the scripture addresses pretty clearly uh, on the topic of alcohol so that we can kind of move beyond the fact that I didn't cover those uh, in their entirety. So let me, let me say a few things about alcohol first, and then we're going to jump back in to this issue of self uh, self-control in a little while. First off, it says this, for an, uh, for an adult, there is no scripture uh, that prohibits the public or private consumption of alcohol. But for people that are under 21, there are actually no freedoms that allow you to consume alcohol publicly or away from your parents. So really the gist of this point is that if you're under 21, it doesn't really matter uh, if you feel the freedom uh, to consume alcohol. The Bible actually says to follow the law and the law actually says that your freedoms are restricted. Okay, that's the first. Second is that drinking uh, in excess leads to drunkenness, which clearly crosses over what uh, is okay scripturally. For some, uh, consuming alcohol is not a problem. We need to know that. But for others, it is a slippery slope into a very dangerous set of circumstances. The freedom to consume alcohol has, uh, as a Christian, should never be held above the damage that it can do to others who have different views and different situations, different struggles. Drinking alcohol is a liberty that can be surrendered, but it should never be a right to be demanded. Okay, so here's just some general principles as we think, as we end up making decisions about what we want uh, to be a part of our life or not. Well, what does Proverbs say about alcohol and how is it related to this idea of self-control? Proverbs 20 verse 1 says this, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it uh, is not wise. Here the author is, uh, he takes alcohol and he personifies it into behaviors uh, that are often associated with it when we think about somebody who drinks, uh, drinks a lot. A mocker is a person who undermines authority, becoming a, a, a nuisance and a hindrance to a person or an organization. Okay? But a brawler is somebody who assumes authority, usually through aggression or ferocity or for personal strength. In the Hebrew, in this uh, passage, the word for wine actually means wine. Go figure. But the word for strong drink is actually something a little bit more like a beer or a product uh, that is made from barley. Okay, so here's, here's the question that stands out. Does this mean that everyone who has a glass of wine or beer turns into some type of obnoxious fighter? No, of course not. The passage is talking about a person who continues to turn over their control of their life, whether it's temporally or habitually, to a secondary substance, causing them to become someone that they're not. See, the issue isn't uh, about the nature of the beverage, but the choice of the person. Alcohol is just a drink until you give it power over you. Alcohol is just a drink until you want it to make you or to give you something that it cannot. Alcohol is just a problem until you depend on it for escape. It isn't that the drink itself is evil, but rather the circumstances and the behaviors that can follow that lead to sin. And this is also true for food, sex, gambling, pornography, etc. 
Listen to how the issue of alcohol is coupled with and then expanded to other ideas and the progression that is made with each successive passage. In Proverbs 21, 17, it says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. Whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. This proverb explains the love of wine as part of an overall problem and an addiction to pleasure, having its greatest impact on the financial health of a person. Proverbs 23 says, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Do not uh, be, am- be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here the author continues to extend the dangers of alcohol to being uh, deceptive and addictive. Proverbs 23, starting in verse 29, says this, who, who, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? It sounds like a young family trying to get ready for church on Sunday morning, right? (laughs) Those who tarry long over wine are those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it is sparkling in the cup and it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies at the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Woe, strife, complaints, without wounds without cause, redness of eyes. The stern warning states that those who tarry or those who spend time with wine are caught into its snare, suffering from the consequences of giving up control of their lives to a thing that has no concern for their lives. So what's the point? Well, here's what I think. First, we as the people of God shouldn't be turning over control of our lives to something that leads to foolishness at best and addictions at worst. So does that mean we shouldn't drink alcohol? Well, that's a difficult question. It's not easy for me to answer and it's not an answer that I can tell you. It's something that you will have to consider within your own culture. Okay, within your own family, within your own circumstances, according to the biblical principles that are there. Second, we as the people of God should be turning control of our lives over to someone that leads to godliness, and that's the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, I think, captures the heart of this lesson in a passage that isn't always seen in the light of its context, so why don't we read it together? It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Try to remember that word. Be, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
This word debauchery is a little bit strange. And if you change versions in your, your Bibles, you get to a word dissipation. And that one really doesn't help us in English very much easy, uh, either. But it carries the idea of a couple of things put together. One is being a, a poor use of time. But it also that poor use of time being spent on uh, luxurious wastefulness. Spending a lot of time and a lot of money on things that ultimately are totally wasteful. Paul urges us as believers not to be controlled by something as silly as alcohol that leads to personal destruction, but rather to yield control of our lives to the one thing that can bring about godliness, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the only lasting means uh, of self-control comes through appropriating the power that is available to us through the Spirit-filled life. Most of us, I know, have patterns of sin behaviors that we have accrued in our lives. As we came to faith, uh, we acknowledged that Jesus Christ's death on the cross uh, broke the power of that sin and allowed us to receive God's, faith, God's forgiveness. But most people also continue to cross back in to those patterns of sin because they've not allowed the Holy Spirit to come and to help them make choices that lead to godliness. And at the very center of that choice is this idea of self-control. Choosing to allow God and the Holy Spirit to fill us, empower us, and lead us into godliness. This is the essence of Galatians 5, where Paul states uh, there in the very first verse, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Freedom has been offered, but freedom isn't always taken. But that is contrary to the reason for which Christ set us free. Paul reiterates his point in verse 16 where he says, But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I find that when people understand the truth of this passage, it really is effective, but we can still oftentimes get snagged in our life, in our walk with Jesus because, the things, uh, because of things from our past. We put them away, but like little boomerangs, sometimes they go through life and they kind of circle back around, derailing us from the life that we want to be living and enjoying in freedom. This morning, I think it would be really helpful for us to hear uh, from someone uh, who has been through this process and in the midst of this process of seeing God work in their lives to overcome a history and experience freedom in Christ. So I want to invite up uh, Kathy Young uh, this morning. Kathy has been involved in our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Grace Bible Church uh, and for some time and is serving in leadership to help provide an environment where people can explore more about how Jesus can uh, offer and um, enact that promise of freedom in their life. So Kathy, come and join us this morning. Hi, I'm Kathy. My name is Kathy. And by the grace of God, I'm a grateful believer, recovering from depression, grief, anxiety, among other hurts, habits, and hang-ups in my life. <laughs> a really good movie came out several years ago called Home Run. I highly recommend it. Included in the movie is a story of a man's experience of participating in a Celebrate Recovery program. 
It also included a song I liked, I liked called I Surrender. The words describe some of my experience with Celebrate Recovery as well. I have struggled for so long. I lay it down. I give it up. I'm letting go of this war I've always known. I wave the flag. I humbly fall on my knees. I have tried to do it all on my own. I surrender. Through this ministry called Celebrate Recovery, I'm learning how to do that, how to surrender these issues in my heart and life over to God and trust Him for the outcome. God has provided this ministry just for me, I feel. He is helping me to get stronger and to not feel so alone and on my own in this walk of faith. My share of hurts and pain through the years have been hard to carry. Our family has experienced challenges and disappointments that have been difficult to deal with or even talk about with others. Often I wore a mask to hide the pain and discomfort I felt. That pain is what brought me to celebrate recovery in January of 2012. A friend of mine had suggested that I try it. I think I actually came seeking help for the hurts, hang-ups, and habits of some family members more than for me. Imagine that. You see, if I could help them, I would feel better. I did not realize at the time that I should be focusing on me, on my issues. I was a flame burning out. Very few women attended the Grace Celebrate Recovery in January 2012. So our leader, Jeff, suggested that I attend uh, Celebrate Recovery. We uh, shorten it to CR that I attend the CR at Central Baptist, where I could participate in a weekly study for women. It was not easy for me to show up at that weekly meeting, but God helped me, and he blessed my efforts. I stepped out of my denial and acknowledged that I needed help. My life was unmanageable in several areas. Learning how to acknowledge some of my hang-ups, habits, and sins to a few safe women has enabled me to move forward in my relationship with God and others. Feelings of being broken, less than, not good enough, have plagued me since early childhood. I've loved God for many years and have enjoyed my vertical relationship with Him. It's those horizontal relationships with other people that have been harder for me. Growing up, I had learned to be very independent, making my own decisions and rarely asking for help. At the time I began attending CR in 2012, I had been isolating even more and withdrawing from people at Grace our church that I have loved and attended since 1976 while a student at A&M. I didn't know where I belonged in the church anymore, where I fit in. I was feeling like a failure and that had, had little to offer. I struggled to meaningfully relate to others, unsure of how to deal with my feelings of unworthiness and brokenness. I had so many hurts that were weighing me down. Putting, my, putting on my mask was becoming too painful, and my tears were ruining the mask anyway. I'm so glad that I showed up that day at at CR to try it out in 2012. I finished the first step study at Central, a much stronger person, and returned to Gray CR at Southwood, where I'm now in a position to serve, leading share groups and studies for women. God has given me a place to feel safe as I continue to heal, to grow, to serve, to love, and to be loved. I feel stronger, encouraged, more hopeful, and less isolated. No longer do I suffer in silence with my imperfections and sins. 
Fast forward to today, and I can say that Celebrate Recovery has blessed me with some wonderful horizontal relationships, community. I also have a meaningful place to serve, and it's given me valuable words, helping me to express my experiences in life and my feelings. It's a place that is teaching me how to take that mask off. It is giving me tools and ways to confess my sins to others and be healed. In her song, Different Kinds of Happy, Sarah Grove sings these words. Loving each other, knowing each other, sharing our secrets, bearing our souls, helping each other come clean. In James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Basically, Celebrate Recovery to me is a method of discipleship, learning how to walk with the Lord and others as a Christian and then being able to turn around and help others do the same. This ministry helps us realize that we have these holes or voids in our beings. If we don't fill them with Jesus, they will be filled with other things that weigh us down. CR is a tool to help us identify what those things are. If you're not familiar with this ministry, I'd like to tell you all some of the things that CR is. CR is a safe place to share. It's a refuge, a place of belonging, a place to care for others and be cared for. It's a place where respect is given to each person, a place where confidentiality is highly regarded. It's a place to learn, a place to grow and become strong again, a place where you can take your mask off, a place for healthy challenges and healthy risks, and a turning point in your life. It has been in mine. But all the hurts and hang-ups, my habits, have not miraculously disappeared from my life because the reality is I am broken. Unfortunately, I am sinful. And we'll always experience hurt in this world. But through the Bible and God's help and the support of his people, I am making progress. I've learned this. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of recovery. I learned that I need to give others the dignity of walking their own walk, regardless of the outcome. I can be a better wife, parent, friend, as I get stronger and take care of me. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. It's been a joy to serve in this ministry and to watch what God is doing in my life and in the lives of other people. So CR is not the only place to do these things at Grace Bible Church. But it's my place, and I'm grateful for it. So we gather to celebrate recovery on Tuesday nights at Southwood, and we hope you will come join us. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. I really appreciate the tagline that is used by this powerful ministry. Celebrate Recovery categorizes these types of issues in life as hurts, habits, and hangups. Hurts are an emotional reaction to another person's behavior uh, or to a disturbing situation such as abuse, abandonment, codependency, divorce, relationship issues, etc. Habits are an addiction uh, to something or someone Examples can include alcohol, drugs, food, gambling, sex, shopping, smoking, pornography, just to name a few. And hang-ups are negative mental attitudes that are used to cope with people experiencing adversity. 
Some examples include anger, depression, fear, and unforgiveness. Does any of that sound familiar to you? To the frustrations that you may be having in life? Probably so. How are you doing in being able to see that Jesus Christ has set you free from your old patterns of sin so that you can live a life that's empowered through the Holy Spirit? Are your hurts, habits, and hang-ups derailing you in that process of living in freedom? Take a look at the two lives described in Galatians chapter 5. The first says this, that the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Which of these lists best describes your life today? And which of these lists would you rather choose? As application today, I want to encourage you to be honest and brave about what's going on in your life. I'm confident that many of you, just like I often am, are frustrated by spiritual growth or a lack of spiritual growth in our lives and we're constantly being pulled back into those sin patterns of our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. My challenge to you is to do two things. First is this, to understand that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has set you free, not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power that sin holds over you. But to understand that very few people, if any at all, can walk through this process without the help from other people. This is why we are to confess our sins before one another, as James says, implored to live in the light, as 1 John says, and to live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Galatians says, so that we can realize that this power has been broken. After the service today, I've uh, invited many of our friends from Celebrate Recovery, the leaders there, to come and join us at the front of the stage, and they'll just spread out in front. And for I know that for some of you, if you could take this as an opportunity to come and talk about some of these issues that may be snagging you in life, or maybe you need to come and talk uh, to find out how to help another friend or loved one. I also want to let you know that Celebrate Recovery's normal time, as she, uh, as Kathy mentioned, is uh, Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at our Grace Southwood College Auditorium. You don't have to be nervous about attending. I can promise you that they are one of the funnest groups uh, that we have at our church. I like to say they still know how to party, okay? And just so you know, addictions are, are welcome, but they are not necessary for participation, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that allows us to stop giving control of our lives to things that bring destruction and allow us to give control of our lives to the Holy Spirit who leads us into godliness. So as we pray this morning and break and are dismissed, I encourage you to come bravely forward and to have a conversation with some of our friends who have a lot of experience in the things in which you might be struggling. Let me pray for us.
Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. And this morning ends a bit on a heavy note and it doesn't have to because you provide the freedom that we need. Father, not only for the penalty of our sin, which has been taken care of at the cross, but Lord, you have known from the time that you have created us that we are a person, we are people that fall back into struggle, even though we know what is best, that we choose wrongly to give our lives over to temporal and failing strategies that oftentimes we want to pull ourselves up by our own power and only later in life do we realize that that power is not enough. Father, I pray that as we seek to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would bring up these issues in our lives and give us the courage uh, to speak those out, whether it's to somebody this morning from Celebrate Recovery, uh, somebody in a small group that we might already be a part of or getting involved in one of our new home groups that's starting even this semester. Lord, that you would move us in that direction so that we live uh, lives uh, in victory, uh, not in the midst of these returning patterns of sin. Lord, we love you. We expect you to do a great work in our lives because that's what you've promised. And we give our lives to you to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would come forward. You guys are dismissed.